We spend far too much time worried about what makes us different than the next person or better than the next person and not enough time thinking about why we should respect the next person. We all have a story, an overarching theme that runs through our lives and makes us who we are. The problem is, we think that since each of our stories is different, there's not a lot of perceived value or shared struggle. But we have far more in common than we can imagine, and what motivates one person can certainly help us as well. The Third Lab Podcast is about understanding, respecting, and appreciating the struggle that it takes to overcome immeasurable odds in order to reach your destiny. Join me as I interview and bond with some of the most inspiring and incredible people, diving into their why to get a full understanding of their being. Without each other, we have nothing. So let's go on this adventure together and take on the future with open minds and open hearts. Welcome to the Third Lap Podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. I'm excited to continue this journey with you all and really excited to connect with the person that I have on the, on the episode for today, my man, Richter Craig. Uh, Richter is the co-founder and founding director of instruction at Statesman Academy, founder at National Association of Black Male Educators, father, narrative shifter, and also a generational curse breaker. Um, we'll definitely dive into all of that and really get a chance to better understand Richter today. But overall, man, I'm just geeked up. This has been a long time coming. So Richter, man, how's everything? How are you feeling today? Man, I'm great. I'm great, Malcolm. I appreciate you having me on. This has been a long time coming. <laughs> Absolutely. And you all can't see it, but Richter has the dopest view behind him, man. He's chilling out in the in the skylines of Los Angeles right now, man. Well deserved. <laughs> but uh, this view is incredible, man. I appreciate it. You know, sometimes you have to, um, I like to put myself in, in spaces where I can be motivated. I think Absolutely. that's super important. And I think... Um, you know, at, 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 at certain points in the day and certain points in your life, you've always got to push yourself further. Yep. And so I always try to put myself around people and in places and spaces where I can like always be hungry. Like, how do I get hungry or how do I, you know, push further and do more? And so, yeah, man, that's a, this is one of the spaces I come to be motivated. The view is amazing. And I don't have this view at home. <laughs> so, you know, I could come here and just like figure out ways to be even better and become even yeah. more effective for the, you know, for all of the uh, ecosystems and people I serve. Absolutely, man. And it's it's easy. So we're only a couple minutes in and y'all can already see why I have Rick the wrong here, man. <laughs> just that that whole mentality of, of surrounding yourself with people that push you to be better. It's so important, right? Because stagnation is next to death, man. You know, the minute that you stop pushing, you know, it, how do you plan to get to where you're going if you're not working hard and working smart for it, right? Like, you know, we put a, a huge emphasis on hard work, but I, I don't think that we put that same emphasis on working intelligently. Absolutely. Um, and hard work will burn you out, man. <laughs> you know, like it, there's a point where, there's a tipping point where too much definitely is a thing. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you also get a chance to recharge your battery and definitely tell your brother I said what's going on. And yeah, so, yeah, we got the rep your hood section. Richter, where you from, man? I'm born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee, man. Uh, yeah, Tennessee is my birth state. Chattanooga is my birth home. Like, my uh, my family's there. Like, my friends that like I, you know, everybody's everybody's back home, and that's where I'm from, man. Born and raised, and uh, I I left there and went to Greensboro, North Carolina. Shout out. North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, Aggie Pride. Um, and after I left Greensboro, I moved to Baltimore, Maryland. I went to school in Baltimore, Maryland. Shout out Morgan State University, go Bears. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, went to DC, you know, um, and I've done most of my education work in DC and, you know, got a third degree from Washington Trinity University in, in DC and, you know, doing my last my last academic lap um, at the University of Maryland Eastern Shore, um, you know, and, and, and getting the work, getting the work done out, out there. Shout outs to the HBCUs, man. A lot of love there. Aggie love, you know, Morgan State. Shout outs to Morgan State. Um, yeah. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if you if you added another EDD or PhD <laughs> okay. down the road. <laughs> 
after after this, I am like finished. I, I, I am finished. I'm finished. <laughs> I want to do the work. I, I want to yeah. only do the, the work. I, yeah. I want to be able to use my degrees, all of them, right. uh, in a way to, because what I will say is like in all of my experiences and all of my educational journey, it's only made me become even smarter and, mm. and learn more about the work that I'm doing. It's so yeah. cool because all of my work is aligned, you know, even right. with my, my um, dissertation and the study that I'm doing is aligned to the work that I get to do every day. So it's exciting. Yeah. Um, and I do nothing but learn from it. But as far yeah. as the, the studying and the, the writing of the dissertation, yeah. I want to be done with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I loved, I love research, um, but I like actually um, action more <laughs> and, like and the application of it yeah, yeah yeah i like being um in schools i like being with you know adults with kids and and yeah. doing the work um that the researchers you know are, are researching so yeah absolutely and it's dope because you get a chance to kind of like bridge that gap right like you have folks that are like traditionally just researchers you have folks that are traditionally just in the field but you yeah. have this like mix amalgamated experience that's only going to add so much more value to the ecosystems that you're a part of um because like you have the ability to do the research understand the data but also you know what it looks like real time right and so you see something like nah that's i don't think that's right um yeah. and like having that balance man is so dope and so important uh and and i just continue to sing your praises because you're really out here um, doing the work, man. Not just talking uh, about it. A lot I of people talking that. about it. Not to, not not enough people doing it, man. So Richter for sure, you're out here getting the work done. Um, definitely shout outs to uh, Tennessee. Shout out Chattanooga. You're the second Tennessee yeah. person. I, I didn't know I would have another Tennessee person. Oh, I wow. actually didn't know you was yeah. from Tennessee, which is crazy. Yeah, man. Chattanooga, yeah. man. I love I love my my city, man. They and 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 everything about my city. Like I love I love it. Uh, I love going home. Nice. I love the folks that I remain connected to for my city. There's a lot yeah. of things, a lot of good things uh, about Chattanooga. <laughs> I feel like Chattanooga, other than the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga, I don't know a thing about Chattanooga, <laughs> Tennessee, bro. <laughs> like, so actually, it's 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 kind of dope, man. We have we have one of the largest uh, saltwater aquariums uh, in the country, um, and you know, we'll visit if you if you're into that type of stuff. There's Tons of like outdoors, like Chattanooga, Chattanooga is right. like one of the dopest cities in the world. Like there's wow. tons of outdoor stuff. Like if you're into like I hiking never known, bro. and couldn't, oh man, there's tons of stuff, <laughs> tons of stuff to do. It's a great place nice. to relax. Yeah. Great place to relax. Great scenery. If you're into like the mountains and, yeah. you know, trees and, you know, like wildlife and things like that. It's just a great place. Um, It's the, it's the Tennessee Valley. So we're, you know, we're, we like we are in the valley. Got you. It's a beautiful place, like beautiful place. So if you've never been to Tennessee, Chattanooga is definitely a place to visit. Like, okay. gotta get there. Gotta get. Yeah, there. I'm gonna hit you, man. I'm gonna make it happen. I'm gonna hit you because you gotta put oh, me on the oh. food places too, bro. Because oh, I gotta man, know where to eat at. You, you know get, what I mean? Die. You would die. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, there's there's all of the great places, like the places that have been there since I was there and and since I left. But man, there are some really dope places that are that are up and coming in Chattanooga, including some really really dope black-owned spots. So I gotta, you know, I got some I got some friends yeah, that, that open some spots there, man. And nice. you, you gotta get you gotta get back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. man. This might turn into the third lap food channel. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling up on all these different cities. I got to eat something good, man. That's all the, right. The first thing you want to experience when you go somewhere. Like, where is Yo, it good <laughs> What touchdown. First, I, and my wife can't hear that Chattanooga is all about outdoors because she ain't going to be with it. She don't like butterflies and all that. So she, I, I could tell her the good food spots. That'll get her hooked in, man. We'll be good. Um, But yeah, excited, dude. You know, so talked a little bit about growing up in, in Tennessee and Chattanooga um, and the experiences that really helped shape you in the beginning, um, went off to North Carolina A&T. And so, yeah, Richter, let's really jump into your story, man. You know, I'm looking forward to learning more about you and your your pathway to where you are currently. So at this point, you can start your story, you know, anywhere you like. Wow. Oh, man. So, yeah, I was born and raised in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I had the pleasure of going to one of the most, what I would consider, one of the most amazing schools uh, from kindergarten to 12th grade. Like I went to the same school all the way up and most people don't get that experience. You know, you go to an elementary school, then a middle school, then a high school, and you know, you move on. And so 
you know, I was able to go to the same school throughout. And, I, and, and what I will say is it was an amazing place. And looking back, I think there were some things that were missing and I'll talk about it. I'll definitely get into that. Um, but it, but it was a place, of, uh, like the, the teachers really wanted you to be better and be smarter. And, you know, they really believed in, um, equity. They really believed in, you know, making sure that representation was in the school. So my school was super diverse. I, I learned, um, with a bunch of different folks, you know, black, brown, white. Um, and we were all just kind of thrown in there together and they wanted us to you know i think the the learning was in understanding the perspectives of different people which is what they really wanted to accomplish and so i got to learn a lot about other folks it really pushed me to like want to go places and, and want to like investigate what's out there which is really cool i mean i was pushed to do a bunch of stuff that i would have never done and, and I'm, I'm from a, a large family and my other siblings all of my older siblings who started at the same school that I went to, you know, they ended up in our neighborhood schools, you know, with, with all of the black folks. And, you know, I was, I, my school was in downtown uh, or close to downtown. And, you know, my, my older siblings went to, you know, our neighborhood school. And so, you know, I got to see at a very early age, you know, what people talk about when they talk about like the difference in school systems. Like it was right in my house. Cause we, you know, we're eating dinner at the dinner table and we're talking about our school days and they were totally different, like two totally different school days. My, my sisters hated school and they went to schools where, you know, learning wasn't necessarily placed as the priority, um, you know, in the school building. You could tell by, you know, the quality of textbooks and the, you know, quality of the school building and the quality of the education that my sisters were receiving. And mine was just a completely different experience. I loved school. I loved school. I love to learn. I love to read. I love to like learn new stuff. I started going to college when I was in the 10th grade. I took my first university course for university credit um, and kept going. So by the time I graduated, you know, I, I had several, uh, I, I actually had almost two semesters of, of school under my belt uh, going into A&T because I just love school. I love learning. And um, like that was one of the biggest differences that I saw, like one of the one of the largest differences that I saw. But it it is one of the reasons why I do what I do now. And here's the thing. I was bad as hell. <laughs> I was bad. I was bad. I was like an, up until high school, like that ninth grade year got me on track, like right before eighth grade, that summer, right before eighth grade got me on track because I actually got expelled from school in, in the eighth grade. So my entire second half of my eighth grade school year I wasn't in school I was at home but I maintained all of my grades I maintained all of all of my A's and and I was I was not willing to let being out of school let my grades slip and that's how much I cared about school but I was just I just wanted attention I just wanted attention so I would just do I mean let's talk about that for a second because yeah. uh, especially you you in a position where you are um yeah. i'm sure that you've heard so many times bad kid quote unquote yeah. right and like i 100 don't believe that there's such a thing i believe that we are engaging them in the right way but you Absolutely. mentioned like being what in my experience i found that the kids that tend to act up are usually the smartest right or have the biggest amount of trauma but like mm -hmm. with you it seemed trauma was the case super intelligent but also yeah. acting up to the point you get expelled so yeah what was it like what what about it had you like why why that split like that i was, I was I, and to be very honest I, I so there were many times i would get put out of class many times for many different reasons whether it was being the comedian um being a disruption you know and the fortunately for me at that time my school didn't have very good parent communication school parent communication when it came to like student behaviors they you know, they kind of dealt with it and, you know, moved on, you know, if they gave, if when you got a consequence, it was a consequence in school, unless you were, unless you got expelled. But like, before I got expelled, I think I might've gotten in school suspension a good 25, 30 times, Michael, a good 25, 30 times, like for food fights, for, I mean, just all kind of stuff. And my parents never knew about it. Like they never knew about any of the in-school suspensions. So like, 
it was it was gonna happen. <laughs> like it was just bound to happen because I, I there was nothing stopping me from, you know, from from being in those predicaments. And you know, I I look back on it and I was doing to be very transparent. I was doing nothing any different from any other boy in school. You know, um, I'm I'm joking in class. You know, joking in class and the teacher you know, puts me out. And so I get ISS or, you know, now I will say like a food fight is a food fight. You know, I can't really work around it. But I mean, a lot of the behaviors that I had was just from being a boy with a bunch of energy and not knowing what to do with it. And so I'm in class, you know, just joking around and, you know, moving around and the teacher's like, you know, sit down. And, you know, I'm like, I, I don't want to sit down, <laughs> you know, I'm just, and so I'm, I'm just a boy and I'm in a, I'm in a school that, you know, really values learning. And so, and, and here they have this smart boy that they don't know what to do with. And so the easiest thing to do, put him out, put him out, put him out of the, put him out of the, the, the space where he's being a disruption and put him into a space where we think, you know, he will change his behavior. And my behavior didn't get changed by being an ISS. You know, that's not really what changed my behavior. My behavior got changed because at one, at one point I recognized this stuff is about to be on my transcript. <laughs> like I'm going into high school and I know I want to go to college. So I got to calm all of this down. So it was really that mindset for me that kind of shifted me in the middle of being, you know, expelled from school. I'm sitting at the house and I'm like, okay, you got to do something different. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't keep up this foolishness because you were too smart. Like you got straight A's and you're sitting at home for and so I'm having this conversation with my myself um, because my parents, you know, they were really good about like talking to me in a way that would just allow me to kind of process on my own because they knew I was bright and they're like, come on. So you're going to go and you're going to sit and you're going to figure this out. Like, how do you make this different? And so, you know, my mom fought. I mean, she fought. They were going to put me out of the school that I was in. And, and I'm talking about like, this is top five school in the state of Tennessee. Like my parents, like you had to literally to get, to get me on the waiting list for the school, they slept outside for like two days to get my name on the waiting list to be considered. I mean, that's how, that's how much, you know, work they did. And so you know, my, my, my dad reminded me one day in the middle of that expulsion, he was like, you know, I just want to remind you what we did to get you in here. And I'm like, yeah, like, you know, because they, they truly believed in, they believed in my capacity to like be something. And so, you know, at that point I was like, you know, I can't let, I can't let myself down. I can't let them down. And so it was really just a shift on my end, which is not necessarily the normal. It didn't take me, it didn't take people, you know, having to have conversations with me and convince me to do away with the behaviors. It's just kind of like, yo, you gotta, you gotta stop. And so, you know, I, I made a, a pivot coming back into high school. It was like night and day. Uh, but yeah, those middle school years were, they were rough. And, you know, I attributed, I look back and it, I wasn't really doing much, anything different from any other boy in the school. I just think, you know, people saw me differently. People saw me different. They experienced me different. I think, you know, when, when, Folks experience black boys, black boys is far more severe than, you know, anyone else. You know, the, although the behaviors are the same, the responses are much different, you know, than anyone else's. And I just found myself in that pipeline. And there was not a black, a black male teacher in the school that could, you know, step in to save me um, because I didn't have many of those. Um, I didn't even have my first black male teacher until high school. Um, uh, before that, you know, it was kind of like janitor, gym teacher, you know, there were some black men in the cafeteria serving, some, serving the food, but there was nobody to step in and say, hey, dude, you need to calm down. You're way too smart for this. Um, yeah, they, they, they just weren't there. So I didn't have anybody to save me in middle school um, that was in the school building. Um, and my dad didn't know about all the crazy stuff I was doing because they weren't, you know, the school wasn't sharing it, not until, you know, I got expelled. So, <laughs> you know, he, you know, I'm going home and they're like, how's school? And I'm like, good. <laughs> I said in ISS all day. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm in the cafeteria. And at that point, you know, ISS was like, 
we we worked in the cafeteria. We worked in the cafeteria. And there were very few, and I'll be honest, like the school again, it's an amazing school, but there were very few times where I was with anybody white working in the cafeteria. Like there were there were no white students working with me. It was always, you know, <laughs> it was always the black kids. So I look back and I'm thinking like, wow, you know, kids are walking into a cafeteria and you see uh, like all of the kids that are working and wiping off tables and washing dishes. Uh, I mean, all this stuff is like, illegal now, <laughs> but it wasn't illegal then. Like we were in the back washing dishes. Like we were cleaning the tables. I mean, it was all black kids. It was all black kids. And so, well, at least when I was experiencing it. So, you know, that's, that's, that was my middle school. That was my middle school career, but I, I, I you're, you're actually right, man. Like you, we've got to, we, we have to do something different. We've got to do something different. And I know, I know that now because I used to be I used to be that boy. So it helps me respond, you know, to, to our boys who have the challenges that they have. I've lived that, you know, I've lived, you know, the experience of constantly getting put out of a school space, constantly being asked to leave, you know, where it kind of just boils up in you with frustration and then it turns into anger. And so then you're walking around expecting to get, you know, I, I was expecting to get put out of classes. <laughs> And, you know, I had teachers, thankfully, you know, my social studies teacher refused to put me out. I mean, he would, and this was a white man. He would deal with all I gave him, all I gave him. He's like, I'm not putting you out of here. That's what you want. <laughs> That's what you want me to do. You want me to put you out. I'm not putting you out. And I, I love him to this day for that. Like he saw me as more than a behavior. And I think that's what we, you know, that's what we have to do with any kid. Like, you know, the behavior doesn't define who we are. And, you know, we can we can get to the other side of that and become even better. And so he saw me as more than that. You know, I had a, um, a high school English teacher and she's one of the reasons I love English today. White woman, you know, I'm, but she pushed me because she knew that I was smart. She was like, I'm not going to let you slide. Like, I'm not going to let you, you know, half ass your way through work. And, and you no, know, because you're better than that. You know, she pushed me to go and take a college course. She was like, you write too well. You read too well, you speak too well, you could you could ace this freshman English course. Let's sign you up for it. And I signed up for it. And I felt like Doogie Hauser. <laughs> I was just 10th grade, like, I mean, I was I was 14 at the time. Like 14, maybe I just turned 15. And I'm in I'm in English 101 in the in the the school that I was at, the University of Tennessee, Chattanooga. Uh, it was, it's right across the street from my high school. Literally, you can walk across the street onto the college campus. And so, you know, they, they said, we're going to send you over there. I got enrolled, aced the class, aced the class. And, you know, it was college kids in there struggling. They couldn't write a paper. They couldn't, you know, talk about a text. And they see this 14 year old, <laughs> this 14 year old in class, like 14 year old black boy in class, like just killing it. And the teachers loving it. And the and the, the 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 students are like, who is this dude? <laughs> you know, I'm walking in there with my backpack on. <laughs> it was crazy. I look back on it, and I'm like, yo, it was really cool. It was really cool. And I think the best part for me, Malcolm, out of all of it, it wasn't the class. It was that I had a college ID. <laughs> like that was the that was like that's what made me grow up. Like I saw myself on this college ID. And I saw myself as a college student and I saw myself as an academic. And from there, it was just like, I want more. I want more of this. And so she changed my life um, with that decision. Hey, so I'm really excited to announce the first ever advertiser for the Third Lab podcast. And of course, it's the homie Teddy Gandy and his team from Blacks Apparel. Blacks is a clothing company that focuses on black reality, both past and present. They share daily blacks or black facts, quotes, and content regarding black reality through their social media. So stop by the store at blacks.com. That's B-L-A-C-T-S.com to check out the Blacks basic tees and all of their inventory. Blacks also uses its platform to collaborate with local artists. So keep an eye out for their limited edition tees and apparel. Make sure to use the promo code third lap for 10% off your first purchase. I mean, really what you waiting for? Get the blacks.com third lap for 10% off your first purchase. Support the homie Teddy, support the podcast. Let's go. And it's amazing because like the two people that you mentioned that intervened, they did what any 
empathetic human being what the brain would do right yeah, and see the yeah. potential of this child know that as the adult and as the teacher as the educator specifically like my job is to shepherd you from where you are to where you're trying to go yeah. and they both intervene right like i firmly as a when i taught and and anytime i talk to teachers you lose power when you have somebody come to your class to remove a kid right like we go when we when we in class we locked in Right. Yeah. Like unless it's something that is off the wall, you brought a weapon or something that can't be controlled within this classroom environment, just like a history teacher, like that's my mentality. We locked in ahead. We a team. We're gonna deal, we're gonna deal with this as a team, right? And then yeah. secondarily, I love the fact that your ELA teacher saw the potential in you and pushed you. Um, you know, for me it's funny, like up until eighth grade, I was like the exemplary student. And then freshman year, man, I went to high school. I seen all these shorties. I seen all this opportunity to play sports. And like, yeah. I ended up graduating with a 1.8. Yep. But at no point in time did anyone intervene. It was no conversations. I yeah. would get kicked out ISS. Yeah. I didn't even go to school my whole senior year. I had to go for five years because I was messing up so bad. And like, yeah. literally, no one, nobody cared, dude. Right. And so, you know, I, much like what you said, when interacting with our students, like I remember who I was as a student and yeah. I approached our young men specifically from that standpoint of like, yo, like I made those mistakes. I know you could overcome them, but you're not gonna be afforded with so much root, right? Like you're not gonna be afforded so much opportunity. And it's crazy you got yourself straight. Shout, first of all, shout outs to your parents for sleeping outside. Cause that's <laughs> definitely something I'll be doing for my kids, right? Like you talking yeah. about opportunities and access. These are the things that universally we tend not to have in this country, right? As black people. Yeah. Um, and so just to hear about your parents sacrificing, I love your pops for sitting you like, listen, you know, we had to do to get you in there, right? Like, don't they had to remind act me. up. Yeah, they had to remind me, man. That I definitely, yeah, that was, that was a pivot in my life, man. So from there, um, I decided, so I was actually wanting to go to NYU. That was my first choice. I knew I was going to college. I'd applied to, I knew I didn't want to go anywhere uh, in Tennessee. That was just out. It was out for me. Like I wanted to get away. Um, that was gonna be my next question. You ain't want to go to University of Tennessee Chattanooga. So, so I actually, uh, that would have been the last place on my list. Shout out to UTC. Nothing, no, no slight on the school, but it was just, it was at home, and I, I didn't want to be at home. Like I, I had, I was just looking around me, and Chattanooga is a wonderful place, uh, but it's small. It's a small city, and you know, I wanted, I wanted more. I wanted more, and so. You know, I, up until my senior year, NYU was where I wanted to be. It was either NYU or I was coming out to the West Coast. I was coming out uh, to where I am now because I just wanted to be away. Um, and I had applied, you know, at the time they had the universal scholarship. So you could, you know, there are the universal application where you could, you know, apply one application and then they literally send it to every school. In and I got accepted. I got accepted. So I had many options, many options of schools. And my, you know, my mom was like, well, don't you want to go to school in Tennessee? How about, you know, here, how about, and I'm like, nah. And my, my best friend's dad <laughs> um, was a graduate of North Carolina Agriculture and Technical State University. He was a graduate of A&T. And I'd never heard of A&T. And my junior year, my junior year of high school, you know, my best friend's dad, I was over at the house one day and like he knew I was, you know, thinking about colleges and thinking about, you know, where to go. And he's like, hey, you should go to, you should come to homecoming with, with the family. You know, we're going up to A&T and my parents weren't college graduates. They had started school, but they didn't finish. And so he said, you know, you should come up to A&T with us for, you know, homecoming, you know, just see the school. I think you might like it. And I'm like, cool. You know, I knew nothing much about HBCUs at that point. Again, I, I was going to a completely diverse school, um, but people weren't really showing me the, you know, historically black options. You know, they, they were like, you're, you're, you're NCU material, you know, you're, you're, you're Pepperdine material. You're, and so, you know, I'm thinking of these, you know, PWIs, you know, I'm gonna go to one of these big schools. I'm gonna go to New York and, you know, do my thing in New York. I hit, I put a foot onto A&T's campus and I'm like, I wanna go here. Like I always, even, even well, especially um, from middle school to high school, 
I wanted to be with my brother and my sisters, like in the like neighborhood school, because I wanted the black school experience. Like I wanted that. Like I saw, like even though their schools were horrible, <laughs> like the schools were bad. They were bad. Um, they're like what how they would talk about their friendships and how they would talk about, you know, and the football games and the mark, you know, my my brother was a drum major in the marching band, my sister was a was a majorette in the marching band. I loved to dance. Me and my brother, you know, we started this dance group and would dance in talent shows and dance around the city. We would win everything, everything. We win everything. And so I'm like, you know, I want to be in a marching band. Like, that's what I want to do. And my mom's like, no, you're not going to that school. You're not going, you're not, you, you're not going <laughs> to the neighborhood school because they just saw something else. They saw something else in me. And so when I got on Auntie's campus, I'm like, yep, this is it. I get to, I get to get the experience that I missed in high school. I get to get that in college and it changed my life, changed my life. So like shout out to A&T for just making me and building me into, into more of the person who I am today. Cause it just, it made me think about like, it made me think about who I was as a black young man at the time and, and, and growing into a black man and, and what I had to offer the world, which I had never been challenged to think about in the space that I was in. I never really had to think about the fact that I was black and a boy. Although it affected me every day in school. It affected me every day. And I didn't even realize it until I got older. Like from my consequences to, you know, my access. And it, had I not had the, the white teachers who cared about me enough. Now I did have black teachers. I had some black women um, at the school that held me down, <laughs> that held me down, you know, and, and only the way that the black woman can. Um, and they saved me from a lot and they protected me from a lot, you know, shout out to, to those women. Um, but you know, they, they can't be men. They can't be men. And, and they can't in a way that a black man can do for boy, black boys in a school, they can't, you know, that, that, that link was missing for me. So shout out to the folks who stood in the gap. Um, but it wasn't until I got to A&T where I like actually started to think about, okay, what does it mean to be black? What does it mean to be black and male in this world? And how do I need to prepare for that? And A&T helped me like find my leadership voice, find my like, that's where I started to like do more and be even more than what I was and become even smarter and push my thinking. I'll tell you like, for, so I was gonna be a lawyer. <laughs> that's, that's what I wanted to be. Um, Cause I like to argue and I was smart. And so I could shut people down in a conversation. I'm telling you, man, like I, in high school, I was known for it. Like I, you know, I could, I could, you know, I could converse with the best of them. And I think that's what got me into the spaces that I was in. And that's what, you know, allowed me to be who I who I was. And it's what saved me from being expelled <laughs> from that school because I was so well spoken. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was, I had the ability to to be great. I just didn't know how. I didn't know how to use, you know, what I had. And so A&T showed me that. And I wanted to be a lawyer. And my senior year was, uh, I had applied to a bunch of law schools and I was working in the student affairs office for the director of student life at the time. And I wasn't hearing from any of the law schools that I had applied to. And I'm like, wait, I'm about to graduate. Like I, I can't get out here and like not know what I'm about to do. That's, that's crazy. Because I had literally, I had theoretically put all of my eggs into this law school basket. And so, you know, I had to start thinking of other options. And my only other option was to go to grad school. Like I knew I wanted to continue my education in some way, whether it be through law school or something else. And so I was sitting in my work study and um, my, the Dean of Student Affairs at, at the time, her office was right next to the, you know, to the desk that I sit at. And, you know, she's like, where are you thinking about going to school? And I'm like, you know, well, I applied to a bunch of law schools, but I'm, I haven't heard anything back yet. And she said, well, have you thought about grad school? And I was like, you know, well, I briefly thought about it, but I haven't really thought about where. And she's like, you know, there's this wonderful grad program at Morgan State University. You should look into it. So she sends me the email and uh, I'm reading the email and I'm like, oh, you know, they're it's a it's a, a graduate degree in in uh, teaching, a master's of arts in teaching, and you know I'm like I, because at the at that point I had done summer camp. Uh, shout out to University of North Carolina Greensboro, 
and the All Arts and Sciences camp and, and those folks over there, because every summer, um, as just an easy way to get paid and get more money, you know, I did this summer camp. And the summer camp basically was a six week summer camp. And we would travel to different colleges each week. And the kids would come from everywhere. I mean, this camp was super expensive. So it's like, you know, doctors' kids, lawyers' kids, you know, very well to do all well, well to do families who are, you know, sending their kids away for a week, sometimes two weeks. Sometimes you'd have a kid that would literally travel all six weeks to every every camp. Like we're at UNCG one week. We're at uh, we're at um, where did we go? We went to UNCG. We went to George Mason. We, I mean, we were everywhere in you know in the context of, of geography of that area. Um, but it was a pretty you know well off camp. But I got to work with kids every summer, so I, and I loved it. So I'm like, you know, teaching's not too far off. Like I, I I like working with kids. Let's see what it's about. So I was about to apply to the program, and I saw that the deadline had passed. And so you know, I I had looked over at you know the dean. I said, hey, the deadline's passed. You you sent me the email, but the deadline's passed. She said, okay, call them. And I'm like, okay. So I picked up the phone, called, and this young woman picked up. She introduced her, herself, I introduced myself. You know, we started talking about the program. We started talking and that conversation turned into like an hour long conversation. And at the end of the conversation, the, the woman who I just thought was literally answering the phone ran the entire program and offered me a full scholarship over the phone. <laughs> over the phone, a full scholarship to, to, to go to this program. And I'm like, I gotta go, I gotta go. Like. The deadline had passed. There's no, there's no way I should have been in this program. And just because of the conversation that I had and who she, who, who, who I was to her, um, and through this conversation, you know, she thought enough of me, you know, to, to say, hey, we want to fully fund, you know, your your master's degree. So went to Morgan, taught in Baltimore City uh, for three years. I ended up trans transitioning into Washington D.C. Um, after that, and I've spent all of my time in education in Washington, D.C. Uh, since then. And, you know, I was a teacher, teacher leader, you know, leader of academics, leader of curriculum, uh, became a resident principal, uh, did that for a year, became a principal of schools, director of academics. You know, I've done, I've done it all um, in education. And, you know, I just wanted to do more and be touch more lives and be more for you know kids and families and, and adults and so you know after i did all of the work in the friendship public charter school network i decided to step out and you know help build statesman college preparatory academy for boys which is where i am now also the founder of the national association of black male educators which is you know an organization that i love you know near near and dear to my heart, you know, our, our, you know, mission is to dramatically increase the number of marginalized children who succeed by, by dramatically increasing the number of highly effective black and brown male teachers and leaders who positively impact them. And for me, that's like a passion, like get more black and brown men into the work, but not just to be here, not just to be a black and brown man <laughs> in a school, but to be effective for kids, um, truly effective, dramatically, effective for kids and so we want to you know our goal is to to affect education on many levels the policy level you know the school level through teaching and learning like really pushing what we know um we need the most which is effective black and brown men who teach kids and who can move student achievement and so yeah that's 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 me that is that is a glimpse of my journey <laughs> um in this work, I love what I do. I love um, who I do it for. I love the, the families and the, the kids that I serve. I love the adults who I work with. I just wanna make teaching cool. Like I want, I want folks to know that black male educators are dope. We need more of them. We're cool. We want, we want our young black and brown boys to know we need you in this work. We need, we need you to become teachers so that you can continue um, making a difference. I think that's, that's important. You're listening to the Third Lap Podcast with Mal Davis. Yeah. 
Yeah, for sure. And so this is the third lap podcast. I'm here talking to Richter Craig about his career in education and his pathway to where he currently is, um, which is really just a change maker, specifically, I would say in DC. Um, but I, Richter, I really think, I really feel, forget to think, I feel like your impact has widened um, exponentially since I've met you, right? Like when we first met, I, like just kind of looking at the work that you were doing, it seemed to be really concentrated in DC and like the greater DC Baltimore area, which makes sense because you have roots there from school and from work. But like ultimately, like I'm hearing you out here in Philly, right? Like, <laughs> you know, your name ringing bells in New York City, right? Like, and so it's just a testament to who you are and the work that you're doing and your organization, um, but really statesman. And I find this so intriguing and I really wanna dig into Statesman and also um, the National Association of Black Male Educators, because I feel like these are the two areas where your legacy is really gonna be, it's, it's really gonna resonate, right? Like these yeah. are two areas where you're going to have longstanding impact in communities and amongst people that look like you. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's interesting because I read an article uh, about DC specifically, this was maybe three years ago and in the article, uh, they mentioned that DC was going to like significantly decrease the number of uh, single sex schools in the city. And so mm -hmm. specifically, like they had used a lot of data to say that students in same sex schools oftentimes don't develop at the same rate as their peers. It was a lot of stuff that it went, went into that. And so coming away from that article, I was like, wow, like these things never really I never thought about that. Like it makes sense, but I've never seen it in action to know whether or not this is relevant. And so to have an opportunity to talk to you, but really to see the work that you've done. I mean, I've seen videos of your kids on Instagram writing rap songs about statesmen on their yeah. own time, right? Like they recorded this eight o'clock at night. Like they spit in bars about school, bruh. I would have, the yeah. only bars I had for school is about how much I hated it, right? <laughs> and I could have never put it online because I would have been suspended, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I would love to really, let's first dive into Statesman. Um, and, and really what was the thought process going into that specifically to make it a same sex school? And then why in the area where you are in DC, why that specific place? Um, but yeah. yeah, I would love to just hear the intentionality that went into Statesman with you and your co-founders. Yeah, I mean, um, it's it's obvious, and I hate to say it, it's it is it is it is disheartening to say, but you can walk into any school building anywhere in the nation and see why we needed to do something different for Black and Brown boys. Not that they're causing problems in school. But just looking at the data in private schools, independent schools, public schools, charter schools, um, our black and brown boys are suffering the most. Uh, the, the charter movement was started because there needed to be something different done for black and brown kids and black and brown boys in particular. Like if you look at, if you look at the proficiency rate of black and brown boys measured against white girls, dismal. Dismal. Um, and the gap continues to widen. You know, the, the, the charter movement was started well over 20 years ago, and the gap was wide then, <laughs> and it's only gotten worse. And so not only have we not addressed the issue, our black and brown boys are suffering more than they were when, when we decided to do something different. And so, you know, statesmen just decided like, we are going to focus intently on, on who's not in the conversation. Like we aren't talking about black and brown boys in the conversation. Like we aren't talking about them specifically. And when we begin to talk about black and brown boys specifically, everybody else becomes a part of the conversation. But what about the girls? You know, what about white boys? What? And, and no, like, no, like we wanted to create a space where black and brown boys were at the center of the conversation and it could not be moved. Um, and we, we knew that something needed to be done different. We know that the boy brain and the black, uh, the boy brain and the girl brain scientifically are different. We learn different, that like there are things chemically different um, in our brains. And then you add into that trauma, 
You know, you add it, like you put all of those, pack all of those things on top of it. And then you've got this boy walking into a school building that you're telling to do math every day. And you're wondering why he can't get it right because he's come from, you know, he could possibly be coming from all kinds of things. And then, you know, we, we have the reality as well. Uh, uh, we talk to our families all the time. You know, we have another side of that coin where you have families who are, who have the, the, the ability and the capacity to support their sons. And they're coming from high performing schools who aren't affirming their black and brown boys. Their boys are walking into school buildings, into high performing schools in the high performing classrooms being asked to leave because, you know, they're talking too much or, you know, they're something, you know, something's happening and those boys are getting churned out of those classrooms every single day. Um, and, and they're coming home not having any sense of self, any confidence, any, you know, you know um, any mindset or belief that they can and will be great. And so we decided to make an environment where we put them at the center of everything. We affirm them every single day, every minute of the day. They're affirmed every minute of the day. We love on them as much as we can because we know if you, if you convince kids that you love them, you can get them to do anything you want them to do. And so we want to love them enough where we can leverage that relationship for them to do what they really need to do, which is the math, say <laughs> English, it's getting them to do those things. And so, you know, we are, we are just foundationally, intensely thoughtful about the relationships we build with kids and families. And we don't let anything get in the way of that. And that's our, that's our work. We build relationships. The math will happen. The English will happen. Like all of that stuff will happen. All of the, you know, the Kings 101 where, you know, you, 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 you really get a sense of who you are as a black or brown boy in the world because you're learning, you're learning about Mansa Musa. You're learning about Frederick Douglass. You're learning about all of these great folks, these great black and brown folks in the world and how history began with these people and these in these in um, these spaces, and you're not getting. It's so crazy because my my one of my Kings 101 teachers said this. He said the first example I I got of a black man in my history book was a man in chains. That was the first thing that I saw. That was the first representation that I saw of myself uh, as a child in school. Like, what does that say? Like the first picture I see of a black man is a man in chains. And so we wanted to make sure that that was not the definition that our boys got. And we wanted to make sure that they knew and that they know their true power, you know, what, what, what truly lies within them and, and, and getting, getting them confident and bringing that out. Man, 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 does that change the narrative <laughs> of what, you know, black and brown boys can do. Like we're seeing it firsthand. Like our boys are showing up um, and they love school because we, we didn't design this school for them. We designed it with them. Like, you know, we asked them before we built this thing, like what would be in a school that you never want to leave? And that's what we created. And guess what? They don't want to leave. And so, you know, we're not surprised by the results that we're getting because we, they were included. They were included in the results. It's the very reason why we're in the neighborhoods. Malcolm, I know you asked that earlier. It's the very reason why we're in the neighborhoods that we're in. We want to be in the neighborhoods that need us the most. Like, you know, they, they, we don't need to be in a neighborhood that has it all together. We want to be in the neighborhoods where, you know, our boys are struggling because we can help them figure out how to get through that struggle. We can help them figure out how to get through all of these emotions that they're coming in with at eight years old. You know, all of this anger that they're walking in the door with at eight years old. And, and the truth is that most schools, I'll give you an example. You know, um, three years ago when we opened, we had a, a young man come to us in the fourth grade. And my guy was at least 5'11 in the fourth grade, at least 220 pounds in the fourth grade. You know, he's my size, almost my size in the fourth grade. So I know, and, and, my, and my guy was going through it. Like biggest thing in the class, biggest thing in the school, in any building he was in. And he was angry. <laughs> my guy was angry you know, throwing chairs, punching walls, kicking boxes, like any, you, you, he asked to go to the bathroom, you say no, and it become a show. I mean, just, ah, just everything. And, you know, I know every school that saw him and, and, and engaged with him before then, 
looked at that boy as a grown man, treated him like a grown man, because that's what they saw. They saw this big boy get angry and they and they reacted like a grown man would react. What do you do? You call the cops. What do you do? You, you know, you suspend him. This man, this boy, by the time, now mind you, he started with us in the fourth grade. So he had only saw up to third grade. He'd been suspended like 20 times by the time he got to us. Hadn't even touched the fourth grade yet. This boy was eight years old. And so he had a very clear picture at eight um, about what schools thought of him and what the world thought of him and what his, and what his family thought of him. And so, you know, for, for me, you know, I, just, I came from, I mean, even I had all of my education, all of my teaching career was in high schools, loved it, you know. I loved high school and all of my leading career began in elementary, like pre-K, elementary and middle. And I think one of the things that I just learned along the way, like behaviors are just that, they're behaviors. They're not, they're like it doesn't, it doesn't make you who you are because if that were the case, I never would be where I was. I mean, my behaviors in middle school were off the chain. And if people saw me as that and only that and didn't see me as, as, as who I could be, I would have, I would never be where I was. And so, you know, for that young man, I had to see who, I had to see him as who at, at, at what we would be, what we would create when he left us in eighth grade. And I'll tell you, he's in sixth grade now and is leading in the school, you know, has seen all A's and B's now, you know, hasn't, hasn't thrown a chair or punched the wall since we met him in fourth grade. You know, he still gets upset. Like, let, let's let's be let's be clear. He's it's not because this is years of trauma. But now when he's upset, he walks. <laughs> he walks. He's not trying to punch people. He's not trying to fight folks. And had we not seen him through that, and that took almost a year and a half, really. You know, that took me. You know standing next to him and saying, you, you, we love you. We love you. And you're going to get this right. We love you. And you still can't go to the bathroom. Guess what? I said, no, no means no. And so I'm not going to let you go to the bathroom because you having this fit. Break the wall down, Kool-Aid man, break it down. But after you break it down, we're going to patch this wall back up and we're going to talk about how to do this different. And so, you know, it was just that unrelent unrelenting hope that he could be better and do better. Um, it was the just the resilience to see him through to the other side and not giving up on him. Like I wasn't, I didn't care what you did. No, I'm not gonna call you mom. Yeah, you punched the wall. No, she doesn't need to know. It's nothing, there's nothing she can do. <laughs> it's nothing she can, you punching walls at home. So there, there's nothing that she can do. Like this is all on us. It has nothing to do, like this, it, this takes the school village right now. There's not much that the home village can do. And so we had to understand that and understand our fight and the work and not give up on him because everybody else had done that. And the, unfortunately, that is the story of a lot of black and brown boys in schools. You know, people, people have done all they think they can do. And, you know, it's kind of like after that, you know, that the, these boys are left to their own devices. And normally that means, you know, that's the, that's the easiest way to get them not liking school. We have so many boys yeah. that come to us in fourth grade that have a firm definition on what they think school is to them. Right. And we have to change that. We, we, spend, we spend most of our fourth grade year just reshifting their narrative mm. of what schools are and what schools can be for them. School should be a right. fun place, man. School should be, why can't school be fun? And the <laughs> safe haven too, right? Yeah. You know, the place that you Absolutely. come to that like, you don't have to worry about all of those things. And you know, Rick, I love to assume the best, but like, let's keep it real people haven't exhausted all the options for a lot of our students. Yeah, and, and you hit the nail on the head is because, you know, like when you get into the data, it's mind blowing, right? Like when you look at expulsion rates amongst black and brown young men starting in kindergarten versus their peers. I mean, I think it was like four to five, the, it, it, the eerie correlation between suspension rates between black and brown boys and white boys and the, um, the amount of prison time given to black and brown men versus white men. I believe it's five times the rate, right? And so like yeah. our kids get suspended at five times the rate roughly in school, the same We're way doing. that they get five times the rate of prison sentences for the exact same offenses. We're doing the same things yeah. that yeah. other folks are doing. Yep, 100%. You know, the same things that other folks. And so I yeah. had to, 
Like, you know, and, and it's something as simple as this. Like I have, I mean, it was just alarming and talking, you know, before we even opened the doors of the school, the, 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 the year before the school even opened, we spent the entire year just interviewing boys, interview, talking to them about their school experience, interviewing black and brown boys from, you know, third grade all the way up to, you know, seniors in high school, talking about their experiences and, you know, all of the things they've experienced in schools. And, you know, these boys are getting kicked out of classrooms for, you know, smacking each other on the necks and smack. Like, let me tell you something. The culture, right? Like culturally culture. stuff that we just do. I'm a grown man. And me and my boys still smack each other on the neck. Like, that's just something we do. And if you don't understand that that's a part of our culture, if you don't understand that as Black boys and men, the way that Black men say to Black boys, we love them, those little light punches, and you know the light, you know the, the night light. Roughing them up the, a little you know, bit, yeah. Like, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's how we affirm them and say that we love them. And if you are not a Black or Brown man and you don't get that, then that looks like something else to you. And then you're responding to that and you're not responding yeah. to what's real. Yo, and sorry, not to interrupt you, but you know, it's funny. You just said that, right? So I had a conversation with my two younger cousins. What up, Ernie? What up, JR? And so both of them had attested the fact that I used to rough them up when we grew up. Yo, they'd be like, yo, you really got busy with this. And I was like, yo, and like at this age, we, I'm 35, be 36. They in like their early 30s. And so I was like, yo, I apologize. Like that wasn't ever, I wasn't trying to do y'all like that. It was love trying to toughen you up. And they yeah. both was like, nah, you good. Like, that's that's how we do this. Yeah. And it's funny hearing you say that. It's like you said, you know, if you don't understand the culture, then yeah. you'll see that as like, oh, what's going on? Like, that's rough. Like, that's 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 just how we that's how we interact, about, man. That's how we do how it. Think how many times you're walking in a high school hallway and you see two, two black boys running down the hall, smacking each other, punching each other. They're not fighting. They're horse playing. And teachers send them to detention because they're... And, and recognizing that even in high school, as, as, as black boys, our energy level is like on a thousand. <laughs> and so, you know, if you're not like we we create spaces where our boy, where it's okay to be a boy. It's okay to have all of that energy. You need to run around, let's run around. Do you, let you can't sit still in your chair. Okay, let's take a couple of laps around the school building. Let's get that energy out. Now come back and take this test. Okay. Let's step outside. Let's do 25 jumping jacks. Okay, you can do some 20 push-ups. Let's do that. Because I know once I get your body calm, I can I can teach you because you're not thinking your capacity is not on something else. You walk into the building, you're angry. And instead of instead of noticing at the front door that your face is scrunched up and pulling you to the side and say, hey man, what's going on? Are you okay? Is everything because all we need to do is ask a question instead of ignoring that or not having people placed to even recognize that this boy has walked past 20 people, he's upset about something and nobody's acknowledged it. So what does that say to that young man about what people say, what people care about him or what people think about him? And so, you know, we wanna get, we want our boys to have the space to be able to say, you know what? I'm mad because my mom put me out before I could eat. Now I'm hungry. And so now this boy's coming into school he gets all the way in the class mad. Somebody says something to him. He pops off. And now people are responding to that as opposed to responding to what the real issue is, which is he was hungry. Had we gave that boy a bowl of cereal when he walked through the door, this all would have been avoided. And so like being able to create environments where we are able to catch things like that, just you know, fix the real problems. Because once we do that, it leaves our boys the capacity to do everything we want them to do to become everything we want them to become. And, and that's what our environment does. It affirms our boys. You, you do something crazy. All right, brother, you just did something real crazy. Let's talk about that. Nope, I still love you. I love you and you are mine and we're gonna fix this. <laughs> so how do we fix it? And so it's not letting them get away with anything. No, it's approaching the issue different. It's approaching these issues with empathy, with understanding, with love, so that we can get to the real, to the heart of, the, of what the real problems are so that we can fix that and not put band-aids on open wounds and thinking that we're solving situations. Hey everybody, so I have some really exciting news. 
the Third Lab podcast is actually expanding. And so I'm in the process of putting together a co-author book called The Third Lab, Transformational Stories of Life Experiences That Make Us Better. And this is a great opportunity for anyone that's looking to get published for the first time, or if you've been published before, this is a great opportunity to, well, not have to write a whole book yourself. And so if you're interested in learning more about the product, the program, the opportunity, feel free to reach out to me at maldavis21 at gmail.com, or feel free to reach out to me through the socials for the third lap. Really excited about this program, really excited about this opportunity, and really excited for you all to come and join me. So again, if you have any questions, want to learn more, feel free to reach out to me at any time. Each one, teach one, we all learn together. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Third Lap Podcast. This is your host, Mal Davis. Please visit thethirdlappodcast.com for more information about the podcast, about our guests, and also to see our reading list. You can find us at The Third Lap Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook, at Third Lap on Twitter, and at Third underscore Lap underscore Podcast on Instagram. If you know anyone that would be great to be featured on this show, please reach out to our host, Mal Davis. He's always looking for interesting people to learn more about them and to talk about their pathway. Thank you so much again. Have a good one.